All right, well, last time we spent our time talking about how discipleship interfaces with prayer. We talked about why prayer is absolutely necessary as we seek to do spiritual good to one another, because we can't actually achieve the things that we seek in our own lives or in the lives of others, right? I want to do Damien's spiritual good. I want him to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have no power to compel that to happen. So I have to, I have to be in prayer for Damien as I want him, because only God can do the work that we need to have done in each other's hearts. And so I need to pray for my own heart, and I need to pray for the hearts of those whom I'm seeking to minister to. And remember, this whole class is about how are we coming alongside our brothers and sisters in order to do them spiritual good, because that is uh, what God would have for us to be doing, which more on that in the sermon. That's the big picture. But So we talked about a number of things with respect to prayer last week. Today we're going to talk about how to help one another pray effectively. Not just pray with logistics, when what are the logistics of prayer, or what are the reasons for prayer, but how to pray in a way that it's going to be effective. How do we know? I think, I think we find it so hard to pray that I want to spend my, I don't know about you, I want to spend my time in prayer praying for things that I, I trust that the Lord will answer with a yes. I don't want to spend a lot of my time praying for things that he won't, won't necessarily answer with a yes. Now, I'm going to caveat that in a little bit, but I want us to be praying effectively, and we want that for one another. So, what do we, what do, we do with this big question that's kind of the, the biggie in the, you know, the big elephant in the room? What about the idea that, well, God doesn't always seem to answer my prayers, God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly as we hope or desire. There's a number of reasons for this. <coughs> Sometimes we pray with wrong motives. And God shows his kindness to us by not granting us our selfish desires. What's the main passage that we would look at to that? It would be James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You have not because you ask not... There's a tomahawk right to the, to the forehead. Why do we have? We do not have because we do not ask. But then he goes on. You ask and you do not receive because you ask for wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. So not only were the, the Christians that James was talking to not praying and therefore not receiving, they were praying sometimes, but they were praying for things that God wasn't willing to give them because their motives were twisted and they were seeking just for God to give them resources to spend it selfishly. So that's sometimes why the Lord doesn't answer our prayers, and that is a grace to us that he would say no to requests made for out of our selfish desires and motives. Prayer is not merely about us getting what we want. There are bigger issues at hand. God's glory, the fulfillment of God's will, and the proclamation of the gospel, just to name a few. So sometimes we need to wait for God's response. We have God asks us to wait for an answer because his timing... And the timing of his answers are very different from ours. 
Your expectations make a big difference in how you pray and what you expect from your prayers. You'll disappoint yourself with wrong expectations. Eric, I'm a little hot. Can you turn me down? Align your expectations around God and not around yourself, and that way your expectations are in keeping with reality. We expect God to be faithful, but on his timing, not our timing. Because we have to remember, it's God who's in charge, not you. Not me. God is in charge. Okay, so what about encouraging one another to pray effectively? How can we encourage one another to pray effectively? Number one, we have to recognize that prayer is for the glory of God. So we ourselves meditate on that reality, and we help one another meditate on the reality. Prayer is for the glory of God. This is, uh, this is a quote from something, a resource that I greatly commend to you, Calvin's Institutes. Uh, it's actually it's right here. Calvin's Institutes, Book One, and Chapter Twenty, is a long exposition on prayer, but it's actually short enough that you can you can actually you could go through it. Right? It's not Calvin's Institutes. It's his one chapter on prayer, but it's in depth. It is tricky. We're going to go through this extended quote uh, in a de- in a bit of detail. So, get your listening ears on. But after we have learned by faith to know that whatever is necessary for us or defective of us is supplied in God and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So we've learned by faith that what we need and what is defective in us is supplied how? From what source? From God. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom it has pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell. Because we understand that. That we may thence draw as from an inexhaustible fountain. So what are the resources that are available to meet our needs and our deficiencies? How how extensive are those resources? Inexhaustible. Our great need, his inexhaustible resources. It remains for us to seek and in prayer implore of him what we have learned to be in him. He has the resources. We learn to implore him for those resources. To know God as the sovereign disposer of all good, inviting us to present our requests. If we know God has what we need, and he invites us to present our requests, and yet to not approach or ask him, we're so far from availing us. So to know God's resources, to know our need, to know that he invites us to pray, and not to pray, is so far from helping us, that it were just as if one were told of a treasure, and were to allow it to remain buried in the ground. Right? What would I say if I said that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that somewhere in the back 40 was buried $5 million of gold? What would we probably do sometime during this next week? Okay? Would it, would it, be, would it avail us anything to, to, to leave that on the table? No. Okay. Accordingly... Calvin says, we see that nothing is set before us as an object of expectation from the Lord. 
which we are not enjoined to ask of him in prayer. God doesn't, in other words, give us any expectation, any good thing does he hold out for us in the scripture that he doesn't tell us to ask for it by prayer. So true it is that prayer digs up those treasures which the gospel of our Lord discovers to the eye of faith. So our eye of faith sees the good God has promised and realizes that God's means for us to get it is by prayer. And really, there aren't any treasures available to us in Christ, but our treasures that he enjoins us to ask him for. He is not necessarily obligated to give us what we do not ask for. Any of you remember from Pilgrim's Progress when Christiana and Mercy come to the gate and then, you know, it's like they need a guide, but they forgot to ask for a guide. And they're rebuked, like you should have asked. He's not necessarily obligated to give you what you don't ask for. You do not have because you do not ask. So prayer is necessary, but you see that all that process redounds to the glory of God. We are the needy ones. He is the ones with all the resources. He implores us, or he he, uh, enjoins us to ask him for them. That shows us to be the needy ones, him to be the great one, glorifies him. Make sense? Okay, go read that chapter. It's long, it's complicated. Read it with someone else. This is, the tendency for especially young Christians is to pray according to their own will and their own desires rather than praying God's will and God's desires back to him. God's promise that he hears and answers prayer is not the same thing as I ought to get whatever I ask for from God. In such a case, we place ourselves before God. Prayer should never be an impersonal, impersonal incantation to get us the results that we want. And one of, the, one of the quotes from A Call to Spiritual Reformation, which we talked about last week, is his praying with Paul. D.A. Carson writes, effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessings. Right? The, the pagans have their incantations. If I, do the, if I say the following words in the right order, then the gods are obligated to give me what I want. That's not how things work in, in, actual, in God's actual world. Prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessings. This is, this is one of John Piper's favorite illustrations. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat or get us another snack. It's a wartime walkie-talkie to call in the firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. If you try to turn prayer into a domestic intercom to bring another pillow or another snack, prayer malfunctions, and you wonder why. It was not made to be an intercom. It was made to be a wartime walkie-talkie. Well, what is he saying by that? What do you think he means by that? What is he rebuking us for when he says that? Okay, our own selfish games. Fill out that answer, either Damon or someone else. God's will and to glorify God. So when we turn prayer into a device to 
meet our own personal ends that's not for the glory of God. Okay. And so what it is, we're locked in, the, in a war, a spiritual war. And so we need that support of our Heavenly Father through prayer to keep us away from sin and to keep us on the right path. Mm-hmm. Good. So what is... Oh, go ahead, Sonia. Can you say that it's what it's not? Because it almost sounds like you're saying... Um, don't bother him with things that aren't important. Don't bother praying for the things that aren't important. I'm not saying don't bother about praying for the things that aren't important. I would say spend less time praying about the things that are more, less important. I think what you're saying is prayer is a conversation. It's not a one-way communication. It's not one-way communication, but it also has particular, it has particular objectives. What do we... What do we show, what do we display as our mindset if we treat prayer as if we're in a a recliner asking the butler for chips? What does that say? Mary, Mary, Mary. It's a little bit like the passage from last week where he talked about, you know, I'll keep the air clean and discipline my body. Okay, so what it shows is what kind of time do we think we're in? Are we in wartime or are we in peacetime? Right? So if we're looking to be engaged in a real war, or if we recognize that we're in a real war, we will generally be asking for for different things. If we recognize that we're in a battle for souls, including our own, that may affect what we spend our time asking for. Now, to Sonia's question, does that mean we can't ask for things that fall under give us this day our daily bread? Of course not. Of course not. But where's the emphasis? Where are we going to place the emphasis? Yeah. Two things. First, to the the point of we're treating it like we're sitting in a recliner. Mm-hmm. That just speaks to me of how can God serve me, <coughs> and that yep. goes directly against why we were made. We were made to glorify yeah, it God. It can. It can. Yep. Mm-hmm. If we but, do, if we ask for those things with that mentality, then yes, it does. But in regards to the analogy of a of a wartime communication system something I have a little bit of experience with. Everything you use to transmit on that network is to accomplish the mission. Yes. Mm-hmm. And some things along that, speaking to what Sonia said, morale is part of that. Mm-hmm. The morale of your soldiers. And you may request for the welfare of your soldiers along that, but the desired end state is always accomplishment of the mission. Yeah. Of something greater than us. I think that's really well said. So, to that end, Sonia, you could see how, and Lord, I mean, sorry, just because I know you're saying, Lord, allow my kitchen, you know, to come to its, to, to come to its completion, right? You know, and, and, and Jim working to get you that kitchen, not because the kitchen is the be-all and end-all, but because that's going to overall be looking for, you know, to, to further the larger mission, Right? You know, so we, 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 it's not that, so for, we do live here. We don't live in heaven yet. 
which means we are able. But what, what were you thinking when you kind of asked the question less important things? What kind of things? Well, I think if I took that little analogy, that John Favre analogy, I might be tempted to think, oh, um, I don't want to bother God with this. Like, and um, I already kind of have this mentality. But what's like this? Um, I don't know, like small things. Like, oh, I hope that, you know, or I'm trying to think of an example, but um, I hope I find my keys. Um, maybe a little later than that, but like, you know, like maybe my child. I always like, you know, pray that they, he would protect them at school against certain things that could happen, but like, in the grand scheme of things, like, there's a lot more important things than that, or. Okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's hopefully give us a bit of hope. What about the prayer, Lord, my, child, my children are going to school today. Protect and bless them and help them to have, right? Is, I would argue that that's not a lazy, that those aren't lazy boy requests. Because you're praying for them and for their hearts. There's, and and that's a rec- that, can, that can come with the recognition that they're in deep spiritual danger. As we all are, but I mean, you know, unbelievers are in, a, in one kind of spiritual danger. Believers are in a different kind of spiritual danger. When we pray for protection and for our children to do well in a particular context, that's not... I would, I would put that in the category of things that God is deeply concerned about as, as part of the things on the wartime footing. You know, so maybe, maybe, maybe recalibrating what is a kingdom-minded prayer. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, go further than you're ask, actually asking here. The only other thing that I, that I was thinking about also on this line is that you know we have at our at our disposal the inexhaustible resources of God. Right? Uh, we are praying to Him and asking Him for the things that are on our hearts. When we one one thing that we can recognize when we're asking for things that we that may be um, you know superfluous, superfluous, or just or you know, or morale-based things, maybe, or something like that. We, we just have to calibrate. Sometimes we just need to calibrate what our expectations are of a response. We can, I mean, there are things that we can ask for that are perfectly fine for us to have that God may choose not to give to us because it's for our, for our good. Either because we're asking the wrong motives or the kind of things we were talking about before, or God's just like, you know, that's a fine request, but it's just not best for you right now. Um, and so we, and of course, I guess that particular response can Bread, spread the gap. You know, we could, you know, we could mm-hmm. talk, be talking about things that we, yeah. in one sense, are very necessary for the war, but God might say, that's not what I need for you right now. But, I mean, just, it just, we just calibrate our, our desire, our understanding of what, when, when we should expect an answer and what kind of answer we should expect. When we're praying the, when we're praying the will of God, like this section is talking about, we could have a very high expectation of, being, of receiving responses. Mm-hmm. I'm praying for my own salvation. I'm praying for my own sanctification things like that, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm praying for things that are maybe less connected to that, I, I might sincerely desire those things. I may be taking them to God for various reasons, but I might have a different expectation as what I, what I think it wants to. It's not that we can't take them to Him. not that we can't pray for the things that might seem a little bit more on the edges, but we, just, we need to understand that... Um, and sometimes I might take those things to him and just be saying, I need to unburden my heart on this. I, I, might, I might be concerned about wrong things. But. Well, I did a little exercise with, uh, with, with the kids last night, actually, even kind of in preparation for the class. And we're going to get to this more, but distinguishing between things that the Lord has promised 
and the things that the Lord has not promised. And the different degrees of confidence that we can ask those things for. So, Elisa's work is really, really, really challenging right now. And Miriam prayed last night two things, one of which we have a promise for, one of whom, one of which we don't. The promise was that the Lord would provide mommy everything that she needs in the context of her difficult work as a pediatrician. Do we have a promise that that prayer is within God's will for God to give her every, all the resources that she needs to do that well and to glorify him in that? Yeah. And then Miriam prayed for, some, for a particular change to mommy's circumstances at work. Do we have a promise of that? No. So, do I expect God to answer this prayer with yes? I do. Do I expect God to do this thing that would make mommy's job easier? I don't expect it, but I still ask for it. I still ask for it because it's a good because it seems to us a good thing. It seems like it would promote God's good, but I don't have any promise. Right? So we're going to talk more about that in a second. So, but to help one another pr- pray effectively, we need to help one another pray according to God's will increasingly. Praying with right motivations so that we can rightly come before God. So this is the money text. If you want the money text for this, it would be 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have before him. That we ask, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked for him, from him. So to the degree that our prayers are in accordance with the will of God, we have increasing confidence and assurance that God will answer them with a yes. So how do we follow God's will in our prayers? How do we know if what we're praying for is in line with God's will? Well, where's our source for that? Our Bibles. Our Bibles are the source to be able to evaluate and run our prayers through a grid of Scripture, which means we study it, we get a grip on what God has already done. The most assured way of praying in line with God's will is to actually pray through Scripture. Right? So this is what the men do at the beginning of men's prayer time, by the way. We read a passage, we read a psalm that challenges us in a certain way, and there's several ways that we respond to that passage. And a, a simple way to do this is to pray through the passage of Scripture, making the words of Scripture your own words, praying God's thoughts back to him. Right? That is a way to align our prayers with, in accordance with God's will, to pray his own thoughts, his own words back to him. And that we can also pray that God would help us to grow and change according to what we see in the passage. Or... We can offer a prayer of thanks for a certain truth that's there in the scriptures. And those prayers we know are tightly aligned, tightly bound bound in with what we know to be God's will. Now, here are the three things. If If you look here, here are three, bottom of the left page, three things where we can pray with confidence and assurance and know that what we have is going to be in line with, the sort, with, with God's revealed will. Number one would be God's promises. God's promises. How do we pray 
God's promises knowing that they're in, in accordance with God's will? How do we know that we can pray God's promises with confidence that God will answer them with a yes? God doesn't lie. Because God doesn't lie. So if we pray God's promises back to him, we know that God has already agreed to give the answer for that yes. Now, you're like, well, why would I even need to do that? Right? If God's already promised to do it. Well, let's just, let's take for a second, let's just argue for a second that, that it is necessary. Now, had God told Jeremiah that the exile in Babylon would be? 70 years. What does Daniel do when he reads the promise in Jeremiah that the exile will last 70 years? And at that time, this is like 69 and a half years. What does he do? (coughs) He prays. What does he pray? He confesses Israel's sin, which took him into exile in the first place. And then he asks God to make good on his promise. He doesn't say, well, isn't this great? I don't need to pray. Because God's promises are about to take place. What about Jesus? Did he know from the scriptures that, that God had promised to raise him from the dead? Yes, 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 yes. Did that stop him? What do you think he spent a lot of his time praying for in the context of his three-year ministry? Did he like, God? God's already promised this. No, he, with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, So the saints and our Lord Jesus himself never take God's promises as an excuse not to pray. They say, ah, this is something I can lean into. So God's promises. How about when when you pray, can you pray, Lord Jesus, build your church and don't let the gates of hell prevail over it. Why? Why can we pray that with confidence? Do it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, now we can pray for that in a particular context. Lord, build your church in this way. Build your church in this place. Build your church despite these circumstances. Don't let the gates of hell prevail in this way. Right? With varying degrees of confidence, depending on whether he's promised any particular thing in that situation. But we know that we can pray that. How about... For ourselves, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So as we seek to live in accordance with the gospel and live sacrificial lives in accordance with the gospel, can we promise that God, can we ask God to take care of our very real down here needs? Yes. He's promised to do so. And he's promised, moreover, in the age to come to give us eternal life. All right, God's promises can be prayed with confidence that we know they're God's will. What about God's commands? God's commands can also be prayed for with confidence that they're God's will. Turn to first uh, turn to 2 Peter 1 for a minute. 2 Peter 1. Verse 3. 
You'll get there. I'm going to start just for time's sake. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Why did he give us the promises? So that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so there's tied to the promises. But now go on. Here's a command in verse 5. For reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Based on that, what do we know are some things which are within God's will? Expansion of his kingdom. Expansion of his kingdom. We pray that with confidence. I'll give you a hint. There's a whole list. You need to tell me something? You're making it big. Faith. What? Faith. Faith. And virtue. And virtue. And brotherly kindness and love and all those things. Right? You can pray the commands of God back at him. If you're in Christ, is there any command of obedience that the Lord issues that isn't his will that you obey? If God has given you a command to obey and you're in Christ, is it his will that you obey that command? Is he going to enable you to obey that command? Yes. Any command of God can be prayed back to him if you're in Christ and say, Oh Lord, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Lord, make me a patient man. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if the Lord's going to, is the Lord going to answer that? Is that his will, that I be patient? Yes. The commands of God can be prayed back with confidence. And then lastly, we talked about this a lot last week, so I won't belabor it, but prayers for God's kingdom, the kingdom-centered prayers that we find in the Lord's Prayer especially. We can pray with confidence knowing that they are that they are definitely within God's will. And therefore we can spend our time praying the things which we already know God intends to give us. But he intends to give them to us through means of prayer. I one time asked my mentor, I said, I have not been praying for myself. And yet I've seen myself growing. What's going on if prayer is so necessary? Do you know what he he said? This is when I was a younger man. He said, what do you think your parents have been doing? I thought, oh. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Prayer is not just a value add, but necessary. If we get that in our minds, 
And we became a church that owned that reality. What might not God choose to give us? We have not because we ask not. All right. Okay, we've already covered this. Check your motives as you pray. We check our motives in order to... um, In order to pray effectively, we check to make sure that we're not seeking to ask just so that we can spend it on our pleasures, just so that we can live with greater uh, uh, gratification of our own desires. And we can trust the Spirit for help. Right, Romans 8, he talks about how the fact that the Spirit intercedes for us even when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, especially in times of great suffering and persecution, with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, understanding how God, understanding how God responds to prayer. And where am I? Sorry. Okay, yeah. Well, our foundations for how God responds to prayer, our foundations when we look at that is we understand God is great and God is good. These are the two stakes in the ground that we need to hold on to as we go to God in prayer. God is great and God is good. And those two things undergird all of our our need to and our confidence in praying. When I face a troubling situation, is God able to deal with that situation, right? That's my first temptation. God somehow isn't able to handle this. But the scriptures put that to rest. God is great. God is therefore able. And I can go to him in prayer. The other one is God is good. God is good. Is God willing to help me in this circumstance that I find so difficult and that I don't see my way clear on? Yes. God is great, and God is good. Whenever we're struggling, we can go back to those foundational realities. God is great, and God is good, and he showed it to us because his greatness and his goodness were both on supreme display at the cross. And if Jesus' cross and his resurrection are true, and they are, then we know that any situation that we're faced with is met with grace from God who is both great and good. Now, as we pray, we do need to take into consideration that God gives varying answers, as we've already seen. His answers being largely, you could largely put them in yes, wait, and no. Right? We already saw a situation where God might answer no if we're seeking to pray selfishly that we might spend his resources on our passions, he may choose to say no. As we help one another, as we help one another pray, as we help one another grow in Christ, we help one another with these responses. What if God responds with a yes? What if your your friend, the the you're the guy you're going to breakfast with, the gal that you're having, you know, over to do for a laundry date, right? Or whatever. What happens if the Lord answers one of their prayers with a resounding yes? Well, then you delight with your friend. You encourage your friend to pray prayers of thanks right there on the spot, maybe. 
You, you burn this memory into their mind so they can later remember what God has done for them. Remember what the children of Israel were supposed to do when they crossed over the Jordan River. What do they do? Every, one man from every tribe did what as they crossed the river? Picked up a stone. Then they put the stones, 12 stones, in a big heap on the, on the promised land side of the river. And Joshua says, when your son says, what's that heap of stones for? It's because... I crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground. What's the point? So that your son and your grandson and your great-grandson and you yourself in future years will be able to look at that pile of stones and say, I remember God is great and God is good and God has delivered us. Will he not also do the same now? What in your minds and in your experience are the times when you can look back and say, God was good to me? And God was great in power toward me. And if he was great in power toward me and good... Now, all of us have the cross. And that's really the only thing we need. But isn't it true that in his good and gracious providence, he has given us times in our lives when we can say, he did it for me in time. He did it for me in this circumstance. Do I not believe that he will do it again? Because he's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when God gives us the desires of our hearts, we pray. We thank God. We help one another to do this. When there's a no, when there's a no, we help our friend remember that God is good and trustworthy. And sometimes we don't know his plans or his ways, right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Which means that sometimes that even though we pray for God to heal the sick, dear friends pass away despite the fact that we've prayed that they would not. There's lots of ways we can pray for a change of circumstance, changes in our jobs, changes in people we know, changes in the world around us, and yet those changes don't happen or don't happen on our timetable. And in the end, no matter what our prayers are, we still have to go back to God, going back to those pillars of his greatness and his goodness and trust him. And it helps to distinguish between what he's promised and what he has not promised. If we have a deep desire that we've been praying for, and yet it is not something that is directly promised by the Lord, we have to hold that with open hands. One of the things we did as soon as we we made our habit, we Praise God, we've, we've had three pregnancies, and all three of them have resulted in children being born. But we also knew that as soon as that child was conceived and that we knew it, we had to give that child to the Lord because it's not our child. I mean, it is our child, but it's, he, he doesn't belong to us. She doesn't belong to us. And we know that God's will has to be done in the life of that child, not ours. We don't have any promises. I don't believe that we have promises that, my, that our children are going to be saved. We have promises that sinners are going to be saved. But I don't have any promise that this baby's going to, going to live to see the outside of the womb. I don't have promises that my children won't die in infancy or childhood. I don't have promises that their lives will be long. I don't have promises that they're going to get married or that they're going to you know, not develop debilitating injuries, and I don't even have the thing that I want most, a promise that they'll come to Christ. But I give my child, I give my loved one, I give 
my spouse. I give those whom I love to the, to, to the Lord, trusting in his greatness and in his goodness, and say, oh, Father, would you in mercy save? So that's an example. You know, the one that, that is, for, for those of us who are parents, the one that is almost most on our hearts, I would imagine, aside from our own salvation, would be the salvation of our children. That is something we do not have an explicit promise for, but it is a, still a good and right thing to pray and is in accordance with what we know of the character of God that he's merciful and he loves to save sinners and that he does and will save a vast number that no man can count and why should our child not be among them? So holding our hands open, we pray for the salvation of individual people but distinguishing between what God has promised and what he has not. Any questions on that? Okay. And what about when the answer is wait? What if the answer is not yet? Hold on. In those cases, he calls us to persevere. Remember the, the, perse- the persevering widow in Luke 18, right? She keeps going back to the unrighteous judge. And Jesus says... Or, or Luke says, Jesus told this parable so that they would persevere and not lose heart. We keep going. We keep beseeching the Lord. How many of the Psalms are, How long, O Lord? How long before you give me justice? How long before you give me deliverance and salvation? How long before I see your face again? And sometimes the answer is, A little while longer. Even the, even the martyrs, the glorified martyrs, who are sinless in heaven, still cry out to God, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you, not, will, you, will you wait and not avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? They're sinless. They have no unholy desires anymore. And they still pray for justice. And God still says, wait a little while longer. And in a side long glance to us, he says, the number of those who have been killed for the sake of the Lord Jesus is not yet complete. I'll do it once the time is right. Now, that's a, that's a, monstro- a monstrous big, you know, big, but, but in other smaller things, he sometimes says, wait. And we continue to pray, and we, we continue to be dependent on God in the process of all that. All right. Um, practicing patterns of prayer. We'll t- just a couple of things in there, things I mentioned before, uh, we'll mention again. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Let me ask you this. Why, when we think of that little acronym, why is that arc appropriate? Why does A come before C, come before T, come before S? Why in that little device to help our memories, why appropriate to start with adoration in prayer? One that we probably find almost the hardest to do. Hmm? Because it first orients ourselves to God in worship by praising him and extolling him and adoring him for who he is. Why does confession naturally come next? Okay, so we, it, it's a prerequisite, really, uh, realistically speaking, before we go to him with our requests. Why is it appropriate that it goes after adoration? 
Yes. Yes. Adoration gives us a clear picture of who God is. That gives us a clear picture of, of us. Which in terms ought to lead us, right? What happens when Isaiah sees Jesus in Isaiah 6 sitting on the throne? Giving, having a clear picture of God gives him the awareness to say, Woe is me, for I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Ask me later why I think that's Jesus. John 12. Um, so adoration, confession, thanksgiving, right? In light of who God is and who we are, we look at what God has given us and we give thanks for all that he's given us. Different from adoration, which is really kind of talking about God for who he is without respect to who we are. But now, oh my goodness, has he not been gracious to us and ought we not give him thanks? And we finish by praying our needs, all the things we need and feel that he must give us because of his inexhaustible resources. Right? That's just one way. It's not the only way to pray, but it's the way actually we actually model our service after that, really, kind of, uh, in just an appropriate way. And again, you want to you wanna practice this with somebody else? Work through praying the Lord's Prayer with someone. What if just you and another guy or another gal sat down and took the six petitions in order and prayed for those things for a period of time, for 30 minutes? Take 30 minutes to go through the six petitions. Helping your heart be framed in a way that's according to his will. And then praying through Scripture. Um, If you want a good example of that, uh, men, you can come into men's prayer. Uh, Cheryl, do the, do the women do that as well? Yeah, so men's and women's prayer. If you want to know more about that, come to a men's or women's prayer session and, and get more, or, or you know, do it with someone who's already done it. But let's be praying together. Let's be helping one another pray. I need your help. Let's pray. And let's, um, and let's actually just expect God to bring his inexhaustible resources to bear on our church and on those we love and on ourselves as a result. Okay, sorry we didn't have time for questions, but uh, let me pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that we, we don't see you as the treasure that you are and your resources as the treasure that they are, and therefore we don't come to you in prayer and we don't ask for them. And we, we have to believe that we're the poor as in our own sanctification, in our church's mission, in the, the health and, and robust uh, pursuit of Christ in our church. We, we have to believe that we're the poorer as a result. Lord, let that actually drive us to action. Lord, let that... Lord, may we not continue as we are. May we be able to look back a year from now and say, we took progress. There was movement. Our hearts are more inclined to God and our lips are more open to praying to him. Lord, don't let it be same old, same old, same old. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.